0: And we're looking at a tough question. Uh, Why do people die when you ask God to save them, to heal them? Uh, It's a question that we, Christian health providers, have to deal with because we're constantly faced with this situation. And all that we do as physicians, nurses, PAs, nurse practitioners, whoever. Uh, God has given us so many promises, why doesn't he keep them? You can't hear. I don't know what to do about it. Where's my lady that helps? I don't know how you can turn up volume. Is this the one? Yeah. Does that make it any better? I'll stick it right here. (laughs) Uh, Can you turn up the volume on this? Thank you. It's a little less painful if I do it here. Um, God's original plan is for our health. The scriptures make that very clear. We see that in the Garden of Eden where there was no disease. Uh, We know in eternity there's going to be no disease. And yet there's disease now. We know that God wants us to be healthy. He's given us this amazing immune system, which we're still far from having unraveled to its complexities. Uh, to protect us from all kinds of conditions, including malignant diseases. He's given us many laws to protect our health. Jesus came to do His Father's will, and He healed sick people. If God wanted them sick, Jesus wouldn't have healed them. He said, sorry, you know, you've you got what God wants you to have. Uh, he healed everybody. Uh, and He does want us to be healthy and whole. But why then do we get sick? Why doesn't God often not heal us? And why do prayers for physical healing often go unanswered? And so how do we help people who are faced with these issues? I've been dealing with death <coughs> Ever since 1954, when I first got on the wards at the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry. And I spent 35 years in Africa fighting the death angel, standing between people and death. I didn't always succeed, but I succeeded far more often than I failed. Uh, and so... Uh, <clears throat> And I have taught all over the world how God heals. And we've given workshops on how to care for the whole person and how to bring the healing resources of Jesus to hurting people. And especially for the healing of uh, bad feelings, destructive emotions, the inner person. And how the healing of the inner person favors the healing of the physical body, strengthens the physical body. And yet, my own dear wife developed a malignant process in her bone marrow, and all that I knew, we applied, and it failed. And six months ago, eight months ago, she went to be with the Lord. So why? Why? We'd been married for over 52 years. She was born in Africa in a little mud brick hospital in Redhi up in northeast Congo. Her parents were missionaries there for many years. But in October of 2009, after we had observed she was bruising far more than a person should bruise, uh, her platelet count was down about 30. And a bone marrow biopsy revealed what's called myelodysplasia, which is a malignant transformation in stem cells in the bone marrow, and in her particular case, in the megakaryocytes that uh, produce platelets. There, was a, there is a new type of chemotherapy. It's not chemotherapy in the classical sense that attacks tumors, This type of chemotherapy attempts to reverse the genetic mutations that occur in certain genes that lead to cancer. And the hematologist said this has about a 50% chance of success. But Miriam was in the other 50%. She took it for 12 months, it was not terribly toxic, she was able to live fairly normally. But there was absolutely no response whatsoever to the uh, uh, chemotherapy. And people all over the world were praying. And I can assure you that I was praying. And I was wrestling with God and arguing with God. And I was throwing promises back at God and accusing God of not keeping them. But on the 4th of March, she went safely home. Uh, In December of last year, when she was due for her 14th uh, five-day course of idesa, the hematologist simply said, you know, there's really no point in continuing. It has not changed anything and isn't going to. And so we stopped it to give her a little respite. But then the progress of the disease speeded up. Uh, He did offer a second, uh, similar agent. But Miriam simply said, I'm tired, and I'm ready to. That's why I put this up here. Uh, Anyway, it was on the 4th of March that... uh, She went home. Where where was God? We live in a beautiful retirement center in Fort Myers, Christian Missionary Alliance, Cowshaw Point, right on the Caloosahatchee River. Every evening, I was down by the river, and I shouted at God. I said, Lord, what in the world are you doing here? Why aren't you helping her? You called yourself Jehovah Rapha. Are you? And if you are, why aren't you helping us? Psalm 103 says, He forgives all our iniquities. He does what? I said, Lord, you've forgiven Miriam. You've forgiven her everything she's ever had. Why aren't you healing her disease? And I had no answer. And then Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I asked him a thousand times in his name. He didn't do it. But God is gracious. And by the way, if you get angry at God, tell him. He won't be insulted. He's too big for that. But if you get angry at God, be sure you know why, and He knows why you're angry. And quietly, He'll answer. And He has come alongside me many, many, many times and spoken to me. And so I'm just here going to share some thoughts that came from the Lord. And I'm still learning more. This is a learning curve that's very steep and actually very wonderful. Well, how did human life start? God made us in his image. You know that story. Uh, He made us to rule over parts of nature, particularly the flora and the fauna in the world. Uh, We are created male and female in his image. This means we are spiritual beings and physical beings. Now, when you stop to think about it, we are the only physical, spiritual beings in the universe. God is not physical. God is spiritual. We are physical and spiritual. Animals are not. And if you're going to be working in an animistic culture, Genesis 2, 18 and 19 are extremely important. Because it says there very clearly God took the dust of the earth and made the animals and brought them to Adam to name. He didn't breathe his spirit into them. We're the only ones he breathed his spirit into. So God is not in nature. God is not in animals. God is in us. And of course the equality of the genders When God told us to rule, that means take charge of many aspects of nature. How do you take charge of anything? You first have to study it. You have to analyze it. You have to figure out what it's like, what it needs. How are we to, you know, take charge of it? That's the beginning of science. Now, that's in the Bible. It's not in animistic cultures. It's not in Islam. It's not in Hinduism, Buddhism, any other culture. It's not in secular humanism. The biblical worldview is the only worldview that gives us the authority and the responsibility to take care of nature. Well, God made this wonderful garden. And there were ground rules in the Garden of Eden. They were ground rules of order. Fruitfulness, responsibility, union with God, and so forth. You can read all of that. That was God's primary intention for us. Wonderful ground rules. And they were based on order. They were based on submission to God. But you know what happened. And our ancestors rebelled against the order God established. And that disrupted everything. Our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with our own self. It was then that guilt, shame, fear came into the human spirit. We messed ourselves all up. But then nature got messed up. And disorder came into nature. Now, was there disorder in the created world before We're not going to go there this time, because uh, that's not the point I want to get at. But disorder came into everything, and therefore the ground rules changed. And they changed in terms of the physical environment in which we live. They, came, they changed in terms of human relationships, and they also came into our DNA. And there is disorder that happens to our DNA. And that's why we have things like cystic fibrosis and sickle cell anemia and many, many other hereditary congenital difficulties. Our oldest son and his wife, their fourth child, was formed without kidneys. Well, that was some kind of mutation in the... Genes that he inherited from his father and mother, who knows where they came from. And, of course, he took one gasp after birth and went straight to heaven. Well, you know, that's part of the disorder that exists in nature. And then, of course, earthquakes, the violent weather, all of those kind of things uh, is part of the world in which we live. That fascinating verse in Genesis 3, I think it's 17, where God said to Adam, because of what you've done, the earth, the land is cursed. Now, if you're going to be working in Latin America or Haiti or Africa or wherever, or even in your church where you are now, ask people the question, how does sin affect the fertility of the soil? Africans will really get into that question. And they'll have far more insights than most of us do. But think about it. How did sin create, uh, diminish the fertility of the soil and increase the, the uh, germination of weeds and thorns and thistles? I mean, what is the relationship between the land and our moral situation? Uh, <clears throat> Quite fascinating. So the world in which we now live is a mixture of order, marvelous order, incredible precision. And if you've read quantum mechanics and cosmology and, and the, the absolutely mind-blowing precision that is built into the nature of this world, it's incredible. And yet there's all this disorder. Why is there this mixture? Why do we have infections? cancer, degenerative diseases, Alzheimer's. With a good God, why do we have Alzheimer's? And we're all susceptible to these kind of things. Being a believer gives us absolutely no immunity to any of them. We're human beings, and we live in a world where these things exist. Now, we can prevent a few of these things, but not most of them. And here's what's distressing. And you don't preach this in church easily. But prayer doesn't often alter these things. Because the ground rules of the universe, the ground rules of the world in which we live, have changed. And there's disorder in all of this. Okay, our Western approach to these questions is dysfunctional. We are very deficient in digging into these deep, deep questions. And if you're going into medicine, or if you're in medicine, dig for the answer to this. You've got to have it. Where is God in this? And I had done a lot of that homework. Even back at Colgate University as an undergrad in Rochester Medical School. These were questions in my mind, but of course, they were theoretical questions. They became practical last year. Uh, We are a very reductionist culture. In medicine, we reduced everything to the physical. In church... We've reduced everything to the spiritual. And neither works. Neither is realistic. Neither is biblical. We do medical missions or health missions. And what does that mean in the minds of most of us? It goes curative care plus evangelism. That's not the whole picture. And we've separated people into compartments the spiritual, the psychological, the physical, and we fail to see the, inter- the interactions between them and the social and so on. Well, this is just a <clears throat> picture. This is the biblical understanding of the person. But this is what medicine does. We do marvelous things. I'm extremely grateful for the incredible Technology and, and, and curative things that Miriam had available to her. She had wonderful care. Competent hematologist and, of course, chemotherapy. And, and I've had a triple bypass myself, and I'm very, very grateful for that. But it's incomplete. This is where the church is. We're grateful for our churches and the worship here. and Well, you know that story, but that's incomplete. And so what's missing? Well, you know what's missing. The soul. And by soul, I mean the feelings, the emotions, the, the beliefs, attitudes, intuition, memories, all of that. Who cares for that? We don't as medical people. We should. In fact, we have training programs on that. Um, I did write a book about that when we first came back to the United States in 1996 and God had taught us how to heal, care for the whole person in Congo I shared that with my Christian medical colleagues in this country they couldn't understand it it was such a huge paradigm shift anyway there's a couple copies up here if anybody wants it and we have a DVD based course on a team approach to caring for the whole person there's some flyers about that uh, if you're interested. Uh, but you see, well, the soul, I've explained that. So who cares for the soul? Psychology doesn't do it. Psychiatry, does, psychiatry is pharmacology now. It's all reduced to the physical, the biochemical. Our churches aren't doing it. And I can tell you this with much anguish. I have talked to pastors and pastors and pastors all across this country that don't get the message. They're scared of it. I think they're scared of the abuses that do occur. And there are many abuses and faith healing and that sort of thing. But the church won't touch it. Why? I don't know. So healing by God's book. Takes care of the whole person. And as I wrestled with God and kept on wrestling him, with him after Miriam went home, uh, he showed me this. Now, I didn't get this from medical school. Uh, but as I got to thinking deeply about these things, there are three types of diseases it's what I call the diseases common to man. In Psalm 73, uh, yeah, 73, Psalm 73 is a fascinating psalm. I memorized it when I was in medical school. It's why do the wicked prosper? Why don't the wicked suffer? They do not suffer from the diseases common to man. That's where that term comes from. Uh, But then there are diseases related to disobedience, and finally to the principalities and powers of evil. So what is the role of medicine in these? What is the role of the church in each of these? The diseases common to man, aging, degenerate, we all get old. Alzheimer's, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, many other neurological conditions, uh, infections. The flu, you know, that's, we all get the flu. Uh, many, many other infectious diseases, tuberculosis and so forth and so on. And malignancies. And malignancies now, <clears throat> there's fascinating research. It seems to be genetic mutations in certain genes uh, that affect the uh, cell, the DNA in cells. And one mutation, um, the cell loses its microchip that identifies it as a cell of our body. And it becomes independent and starts growing independently. But another genetic mutation is required that enables that cell now to increase or to draw in extra blood supply. And you know tumors draw in far greater blood supply. Another Mutation needs to occur to allow those cells now to travel throughout the body, you know, to metastasize. So, but this is common demand. None of us are immune. We're all susceptible to them. And that's what took Miriam to heaven. Well, what's our role? We can treat a lot of these. Many we can't cure. Certain cancers we can cure. (coughs) And we're grateful for that, and we're making slow progress. But many of the chronic uh, inc- our diseases are incurable. Diabetes we just can handle, and many, many others. But support, palliation, comfort, and Mary received much of that. And she had the best medical treatment. But what's the role of the church? The church has very important roles here in support, listening answering questions, prayer, spiritual care, offering eternal salvation. We had wonderful support from our church at Shell Point, And people were praying and coming in and bringing food, and, and it was wonderful. And, of course, people were praying and asking God for healing. Well, what are the diseases of disobedience? This comes from a fascinating story in the 15th chapter of Exodus. The children of Israel had crossed the Red Sea. God had brought them across. They rejoiced. Then they headed into the wilderness. And they ran out of drinking water. But then suddenly somebody spotted a spring. They ran to the spring, got down to the water and sipped it and and took a swig and spit it out. They couldn't drink it. It was full of minerals, bitter minerals. That was the spring at Marah. Well, then God showed Moses a piece of wood, which Moses, when he threw it into the spring, the water became clear and they were able to drink it. <clears throat> but, and it's then, and this is part of that story in the same sentence. It says it was there God tested them and there God gave them this command. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what's right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all His decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals you. If you obey. If you don't, you'll suffer the diseases of the Egyptians. Well, That was referring to where they had just come from. Basically, God was saying, if you disobey, you're subject to all kinds of illnesses. Well, what are those? I think you know them well. Diseases due to lifestyle. And if some of you are practicing physicians, I could ask you what percentage of the people that come to your office are basically suffering from stress-related illnesses Uh, behavioral illnesses, lifestyle illnesses, you'd probably say anywhere from 60 to 80%. And this is true. Uh, Diseases coming from abuse and the immoral behavior of others. Miriam and I went over this carefully. There was absolutely no question in our mind. She didn't have a disease of disobedience. She had one of the diseases common to man. But the majority of people whom you care for fall into this category. There, we can do things. Okay, there they are. <clears throat> the role of medicine is limited here because medicine doesn't recognize the Inner problems of people. Medicine just sends you for an MRI, and anger doesn't show up on an MRI, or jealousy, or fear, or guilt. Uh, And so we're limited. As medical reductionist, medical practitioners, doctors do love these people because they never get well. and They just, you know, that's part of the income. But here's where the church has an amazing role to play. And this is why I'm desperate to get pastors and churches involved. That we can do something to help these people. That's our, the bailiwick of the church. And it's inner healing. Counseling, coming alongside of sick people, getting their story, hearing what's going on in their lives, discerning anger, bitterness, lack of forgiveness, guilt, shame, whatever it may be, and then helping people take these things to the Lord. And dumping them in the Lord's hands and finding peace from God. Now, write down that verse, Proverbs 14, 30. It's the most powerful medical verse in the Bible. Literally. Peace of mind makes the body strong. Envy, to which you can add many, many other things, makes the body sick. Now, you won't find that in the NIV. The NIV is crazy. It says... Envy rots the bones. That doesn't mean a thing to you. That's a Hebrew idiom. Why they translated literally a Hebrew idiom, I have no idea. Bones, as a Hebrew idiom, means the whole body. Envy rots the body. Envy makes the body. It does. And so does anger and bitterness and lack of forgiveness and all of those kinds of things. And here's where the church has a powerful role to play. Healing services, uh uh-uh. If it's just prayer for healing, that's, that's giving treatment without a diagnosis. But if the prayer is accompanied by counseling to find out what the real problem is, it's not enough to pray for Aunt Susie who has arthritis. Why does she have arthritis? What's going on in her life? Miriam and I spent a lot of time going through this looking at past and her childhood and things, and we were convinced that her heart and spirit had been completely healed of whatever she might have had and that this had nothing to do with her process. Well, the third category, spiritual diseases, you know, the demonic, these. And where does mental illness come in? People have asked me that question, and I'm embarrassed because all I can say, I don't know. Psychiatry isn't looking at this. Psychology isn't looking at this because it's beyond the parameters of their science. Somebody needs to look at it. And one evening I walked the whole perimeter of our island casting out demons for Miriam. <laughs> well, by the time I got back home the Lord said, Danny, you're wasting your time. It's not demonic. I said, cancer. But you know, Demonic problems are very, very real. And the role of medicine here is nothing, because medicine doesn't even recognize the spiritual. So, here's where the church again can play a role. We need to study the scripture. It needs careful training of people in counseling and in dealing with the demonic. That's a dangerous area. And neophytes shouldn't go there But the church should be equipped. So, what were the lessons that I learned from all of this? Well, I learned that God's in charge. And I learned that I wasn't. And you know, for a kind of a hyper-physician like me, that was tough. Just knowing I couldn't do anything, I was powerless. But I also learned this, that God does not frequently alter the ground rules of the universe because we ask him to. Now, does God do miracles? Yes. What is the percentage of people with cancer who have had hundreds of people praying for them where a miracle occurs? It does happen. Nobody's done any statistics. I doubt that it's anywhere near 1%. Probably less. And that gives us pause. But then comes, what is God's purpose in all of this? I was not in control. God did forgive my anger because he knew why I was angry. But now look at this. This is one of the toughest passages in the Bible. I consider that what we suffer at this present time cannot be compared at all with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. All of creation waits with eager longing for God to reveal his children. For creation was condemned to lose its purpose, not of its own will, but because what? That's amazing. God willed it to be so. God put cancer in the universe, in the world. God put earthquakes into the world. God supposedly good. How come? How do you deal with that? Try that out in Sunday school next Sunday. That's what it says. That's God's word. God willed it to be so. And yet there was the hope that creation itself would one day be set free from its bondage. Well, I won't go on to read all that. Uh, you know, we're waiting for the day when God will set our whole being free. Well, Miriam has been set free. I'm still waiting. Uh, that time will come to me and to all of but It's the now that's the problem. I've been eviscerated, and it hurts. Well, why? Because God willed it to be so. So what does it say? And this is the conclusion I had to come to, because God knows there's a better good. The grave is not our goal. Earthly life is temporary. And earthly life is preparation for eternity. And God is getting us ready and through the suffering Miriam had and her suffering was not as bad as that of many, many others for which I'm grateful. But was preparing her for eternal service which she's doing now. She's not a nurse in heaven. I'm not sure what she is but they don't need nurses up there. Uh, (laughs) Ah, But here's a concept that's in the scripture. Our faith is being tested by fire, like gold. Here I'm using silver. But anyway, silver in the ground is full of impurities, and it's only intense heat that can deal with them. But the refiner gets this silver ore and puts it in the crucible and heats the fire. Now, this has gone on for centuries and centuries and millennia. They didn't have thermometers. They didn't have computers. How did the refiner know how hot that fire had to be? What was his thermometer? It was his cheek. He leaned over the fire. He felt the heat. That heat had to be precise. Two degrees too hot, it would spoil the silver. Two degrees too less, it would leave impurities in there. It had to be precise, and this is how he felt it. Well, and he kept on till he could see his own face reflected in it. Well, there you are. Can't read it. You can read it. So you see, there's purpose. And as tough as it is, painful as it is, it's a purpose and it's good. We're born to live forever. We're born to live with God. We're living with God now, but under ground rules that have disorder. But God is still here. And our face needs to be turned toward Him. But... The direction in which we turn our faces up to us. Miriam's departure could have blown my faith away; it almost did. And I well remember one night down on the beach. And I said, God, are you there? I don't even know you're there. Well, then my mind clicked in. And I said, Fountain, if you lose hold of God, you've lost everything. What do you have left? Nothing. Shambles. And so I knew I could not abandon God. And I knew God hadn't abandoned us. So cancer is not evil. It's horrible. It's bad. It's painful. It's destructive. But it becomes evil if it drives us away from God. Or it becomes good if we accept it as the refiner's fire. It's drawing us to God. Jesus was made perfect by suffering. Wasn't He perfect? No. He'd come to identify with us and that meant taking on our sufferings. And so His suffering had a purpose, which means that my suffering now has a purpose. So, in a very real sense, the suffering i 'm going through because she 's God is gone is identifying me with jesus, and i can 't reject that i can't say that 's bad, even though it 's hard. so, our suffering does have meaning and purpose it enables us to identify with Jesus. And if we bear suffering with the grace and courage God gives us, we witness to others. And many people have said, Dan, we know what you're going through. We're watching you. Well, and I'm trying to be faithful. Now, do I cry? Of course I cry. Rarely in public, but on occasion I do. And I don't get embarrassed about it. Uh... But Hebrews 12, 1 says, Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. God set before me a race way back 70 years ago to make this world a better place and to build a kingdom. And it's still my race. And I shall keep on running uh, until God calls me home. Now, Gil quoted one song this morning, I Surrender 10%. Uh, There's another hymn, uh, Oh Jesus, I have promised to serve you until I'm 65. But we won't go into that any further. Uh, So, but heaven, and I'm reading a lot about heaven, eternity. Uh, N.T. Wright has written a very good book. Randy Alcorn has written about it. Uh, An eternal life, dear friends, is going to be back here on earth. Now, where is Miriam now? I'm not sure. She's in what they call paradise. Does she have her resurrection body? I don't know. We will get our resurrection body when Jesus returns, but of course... Where Miriam is, there's no time. There are no days, weeks, months, years. And I visualize her fully clothed in her eternal body. And she's she got a white dress on. Now, where did that white dress come from? It says very clearly in Revelation that the bride is dressed in white linen, which are the good works she has done. So... You'll have a white robe, you'll have a white dress, and it'll be the good works you've done. However many good works you've done, will I mean, the beauty of your dress will depend on that. And if we are faithful in doing the works of God, well, you know, we'll have a fairly decent set of clothes. (laughs) But as I worship, you know, I can visualize her. We have a wonderful music program in church, and sometimes the I music mean, gets hard, I weep. But I can see Miriam there, waving her banner before the Lord. So, well, you know, that's hope. So, God has revealed much to us in His Word. We must study it and learn His truth. Now, many of us say, well, you know, this is mystery. We can't understand it. Don't hide behind that. There is irreducible mystery. But not everything is irreducible to mystery. There's a lot we can learn from the Word and from going to the Spirit of God and saying, Lord, what do I need to know? And He's keeping teaching. For us caregivers, studying the biblical worldview, understanding this, and then just quietly sharing with hurting people The hope that we have. Holding their hand, being present, bringing flowers, uh, bringing music. Now, MedSend is a wonderful organization. I've had the privilege of being one of the founders of it. And they now have a fund, the Miriam Fountain Scholarship Fund, for missionary nurses who will be serving in Africa. Two are already in Africa with a Miriam Fountain Scholarship, and it may be hard for you to believe, one of them is teaching nursing in Libya, in Benghazi. Uh, So Miriam's still alive in Africa, and another is going to eastern Ethiopia to work among Somalian refugees. There's that book. There's the flyers about the video. Okay. Questions? Comments? Yes.
1: I'm sort of having, I'm sort of trying to wrap my brain around what you said, that God willed it, because I've been taught my whole life that when the fall, when man fell in the Garden of Eden, that sin entered in, and so earthquakes, disasters are caused by, God allows them, but it's caused by evil because... Satan has become a part of
0: that. Okay, you're having trouble wrapping your mind around what I said about God willed these things when the Bible says that sin came and then these are consequences of sin. Of course you're having trouble wrapping your mind around it. I am too. But there's the Word of God. God willed it to be so. By the way, the Good News translation makes things so much clearer. It's much clearer than the NIV and, of course, the old King James. And I I like the good news translation. Uh, But you see, this is what I came to the conclusion. God said to Adam and Eve, okay, you've chosen disorder. Now, you're going to live in a world where I have put much disorder because you chose it. And, of course, that includes cancer and earthquakes and all that sort of thing. But God did that so that we would not settle down here on earth. So that we would not feel at home here on earth. So that we would feel there must be a better place I'm headed there. And that's me. I don't want to stay here forever. Now, I enjoy a lot of wonderful things in this life live in a beautiful place, but I don't want to stay here forever. I want to go on to eternity, knowing, of course, well, we may, Miriam and I may wind up back at Shell Point, renewed, recreated, I don't know where we'll be. No, I guess it'll be Kansas, because I understand that's the, you know, (laughs) real heaven on earth. (laughs) But anyway, uh, and so here you see is us. Our responsibility, our choices, here is God who affirms our choices. And God will affirm your choice of where you're going to spend eternity. God sends nobody to hell. Hell is people's choice. And they're in hell now if they have rejected God, because hell means being without God. And when they leave this life, well, they'll continue to be without God forever. That's their choice, and I'm sure God weeps. Okay, yeah.
2: I've struggled with this too, and uh, have thank you. With, so do I. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, but I went, went through the Bible, finding out where does illness come from. Yeah. Because I've always been told, all right, illness is of the devil, mm-hmm. and the Lord hates that and wants us whole. Yes. But in truth, in the Bible, there are three places where the devil causes illness.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Job. The Apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh and a woman that Jesus healed. Mm -hmm. Every other time, hundreds of thousands of people, God did it. Mm -hmm. God brought it with the Egyptians, Mm -hmm. with the Israelites, Mm -hmm. just so many things over and over and over. God says in His Word, I did this. I caused that. I did this. And it is always, as you say, for a purpose. Yeah. When the when the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, Jesus did not say, ah, it just happens. Yeah. It's just random. He just caught some virus or something like that. He said, it is to show forth God's glory. Yeah. It was always for a purpose. Yeah. And it's almost, you know, virtually always from God.
0: Yeah. I hope the microphone picked that up. I can't repeat <laughs> it at okay. all. Uh... But you know that story of the blind man, I mean the man born without sight, who sinned, him or his parents? My understanding of Jesus' response is, guys, forget it. Don't look for causes, look for purpose. And that's what I'm trying to do. What is the purpose God had in Miriam's myelodysplasia? Then I can tell you heartrending stories of other colleagues I know now who are going through the same process I'm going through. Their wives are dying of cancer. Well, not why, but what's the purpose? Yes, ma'am. Stand up my ears are a little bit weak. Uh, our family five years ago went through a very difficult time. Our daughter
1: Now, yeah. and, uh, uh, I am the wife of a pastor, yeah. and in uh, missionary service, yeah. but you know, what I would like to encourage people, I'm a nurse, yeah. uh, what I'd like to encourage people, because when people are grieving and going through things, don't be Joe's friends, <laughs> <laughs> because it's easy to come alongside as the church and and to to say guess, you know God allowed this or even that there's a purpose. But I think suffering takes time yeah. and grief takes time. And the best thing you can do is to hold one's hand and yeah. not to let them warm. Yeah. And given time, five years now. We know there's a purpose for what God allows in our daughter's
0: life. Yeah. But the, the thing is to care and to show compassion. Yeah. Be there, love, and yeah. hope. Yeah. I'm not sure you're aware of it. I was in Pasadena when that happened. Oh. And I was there when Terry came running out. You just called him. Of course, sudden death or sudden tragedies have their particular pain because you're not prepared. Well, I was prepared as good as anybody could be prepared. We saw this coming. We knew it. Uh, But just a final word to you who are present with people—they haven't changed that clock, have they? I know I'm long winded but you know <laughs> you, you break don't use cliches don't say oh it's all going to be alright or someone has died you'll see them have heaven just put your arms around them and hug them and say I'm sorry just be present uh, because that's what we need, yes ma'am. Well, keep in mind, every situation is different. And just conveying sympathy, sorrow, empathy, concern, uh, immediate counsel is probably not very effective. Uh, because you're dealing with shock and intense grief, denial and stuff. Now, after Miriam went, I was numb for three or four weeks. And I think that's a fairly common experience. I'm grateful for it because all of the arrangements that had to be done, which are difficult, you know, I, could, I was able to handle The real grief came three or four weeks later, and it's still with me. But um, understanding the whole story, and when a grieving person is able to listen to the whole story, we're on a journey. We're being prepared. This fire is part of the preparation. Now, did God cause Miriam's cancer, to refine her, and to refine me, I'm not going to go there. Uh, My personal, where I am now is no, God didn't cause cancer. It's here. It's here. Life is unfair, as Phil Yancey said. Uh, by the way, there's a very good book called God on Mute. That's M-U-T-E. In other words, God is silent by Peter Grieg, G-R-E-I-G. It's from Great Britain. He's from the group that does the Alpha course. And he's written, he's a very young guy, but his wife, after their second birth, suddenly had a horrible convulsion turned out with a brain tumor yay bait. They were able to go in. It was benign. Took it out. Prayer convulsions continue to this day. And Pete is one of the founders of the 24-7 prayer movement which is now all over the world. He's had millions of people praying with him for his wife. Well, you know, it's had no effect. So he writes this book. Why doesn't God answer our prayer? And these can be helpful. It's Helpful to me. Okay, you'll be grieving if we don't stop, but I'm going to stay here and have supper. Those of you who want to stay in dialogue, we'll just kind of form a circle over here and we'll just carry on.